Man, I don't even know where to begin, whether we go with what what's going on in the playoffs now. We got the lottery tonight. We're recording this on a Tuesday afternoon slash morning, so we won't know what happens in Game 2, Clippers, Suns. We won't know what happens with the draft lottery tonight. The orders, Houston, Detroit, Orlando, OKC, Cleveland, Minnesota. Make the hell of a day to tape an episode. <laughs> Yo, we did this last week with Stotts, bro. Well, as a, at least that was unexpected. Like, this one is just like, yeah, we know there's a bunch of shit happening tonight before we record. So by the time you listen to this, everything we'll say will be outdated. How about that? Yeah, but I got Steve Jones Jr. here. There you go. I got Pork Chop. I got the chopper. <laughs> He's here. We've been trying to get him on the pod for weeks, uh, months maybe, Steve. <laughs> I'm happy to be here. I'm glad to be here with y'all. And this is true. It, it has been a process. Just a process. And I'm here. I'm ready to go. You can always give predictions on what you think might happen. Yeah. Some say, well, congratulations to the Rockets for their first pick. <laughs> And boy, what a game from Devin Booker. (laughs) (laughs) Nicely done. Steve and I were in Coop Moorhead's wedding, what, like six years ago? Whenever, that was probably longer than that. Coop Moorhead covers the NBA for Heat.com. He's like the head digital coordinator for them. And we we go way back to, to the Miami Heat days. And then we were in the wedding in Portland and that was my first experience in Portland. So thank you to you and Coop for like give it, showing me the rounds in Portland. No, I'm glad we could represent Portland to the best of our abilities. I got an iconic picture eating ice cream with Tob. So it was all a big win. <laughs> Wasn't it like a weird ice cream there? Some Portland flavors there. Yeah, definitely. Salt and straw. Is that the name of the... Salt and straw. Oh, we're going to put bacon <laughs> on our ice cream because we're from Portland and we're so wacky. Oh, get out of here. Vanilla, chocolate, <laughs> strawberry, pistachio, that's it. Pistachio nut. I don't want to hear no other flavors. You throw pistachio in there as a normal flavor? You like had a top three of like <laughs> vanillas, chocolate. Oh, pistachio. My dad loves pistachio ice cream. See, there you go. I did it for your pops. <laughs> so Portland Jesuit high standout. Mike Dunleavy Jr. got his number retired. Is it called Jesuit back home in Portland, Steve? Yeah, it's just Jesuit. <laughs> And then you went to ASU, and that's how you knew Amin, or I guess the, the ASU connection. So get me back to how you got to ASU, and then you transferred to UNLV. ASU, I was lucky enough to be able to walk on there. They said they had a spot, come show up. So I practiced really hard, <laughs> tried to defend some guys, made some headway. Actually got to play once I made a coaching change, which was fun. And then James Harden showed up, so I got to play with him. And that was great, and then I was out of the rotation. Yeah. <laughs> That happened quick. <laughs> it wasn't a fast rise. It was, <laughs> hey, I made four threes in the game, and then I was out of the rotation, which is fine. What? It's okay. I mean, they brought a bunch of freshmen in. I understood. They brought my guy, the the heir to the jeans fortune. What's his name? <laughs> Derek Glasser. Glasser. There you go. <laughs> his family was like, I had their money in jeans and denim. They did. He went to Artesia also, right? He did. And we had Coach Pear was there too, so it was a whole Artesia yeah. connection. Yeah, that's right. And then we had uh, Jamel McMillan, so Coach McMillan's son. He was there as well. We actually had, like, if you look at the roster, a bunch of dudes that, like, went on to do other things in basketball. Jeff Pendergraft slash Ayers? Yep, he was there. You're right. That ro- If you look at that roster. Hey! <laughs> look who it is. <laughs> look at this oh, guy. what is this? We meet again, old friend. <laughs> look at this guy. Look at, what up, dog? <laughs> what's up man how you doing coot moorhead is dead in the building join the show i had to i had to ambush you here steve hey i appreciate it 
Nothing like a good ambush. Are you guys treating him okay or what's going on? Did dissecting my uh, basketball career at Arizona State. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even realize this. He played with uh, James Harden. So give me the scouting report on Steve Jones on the court. Coop Moorhead, uh, he's a big man, but I don't know if he can hang with Steve. Well, Steve and I go way back. So we played ball in like middle school, right, Steve? Oh, wow. Yeah, we go way back. So he is like the James Harden of post defenders. You cannot move this man at all. Like, that was my game. I was like 6'5 in high school. That means you're tall, right? That means like you're a post player. And Steve and I would always, we went to like the hoop in Beaverton, Oregon. And I would always try and back him down. And I, could, I got like that much room on him. I just couldn't do it. So I'm like taking hook shots and running hooks. And that was my game when I played Steve when I won. But Steve, correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't like one of your best games was shutting down um, Luke Babbitt back in the day? <laughs> Luke Babbitt. Oh, <laughs> boy. That was my my claim to fame at UNLV. <laughs> Babbitt at Nevada. That that motherfucker was a like that was a problem. That dude was tough. No, he was the guy. He was the guy. Long hair Luke Babbitt was the guy. He, he cut his hair. He lost his powers. But <laughs> we were down like ten or twelve. Uh, Coach Kruger was like, "Hey, y'all go in, change it up. This is going one of two ways. We're either gonna lose or gonna win." I was like, "All right." So I, it was me and Luke Babbitt, and I was like, I'm going to pressure you. I'm going to take a couple charges, frustrate you. All the stuff that y'all get annoyed about, like when <laughs> Patrick Beverly and company do it, I was doing all of those little <laughs> tactics. Any, any drive, the, the uh, forearm was going right to the hip, and it worked. Hit a three, and it was big. It was I was walking around on campus smiling the next day. It was a great, great moment. I didn't know about this until like recently, but what, where did the pork chop name come from, Coop? Did you know him as pork chop or anything like that? No, pork chop happened in college, right, Steve? That was uh, Arizona State that happened, courtesy of new UNLV head coach Kevin Kruger. <laughs> we had him with a different nickname. I don't know if he wants me to say what it was because he used to get real mad about it. <laughs> I throw it out there. We haven't fun today. No, all right. So we would go to like basketball camps and stuff. And, you know, people knew who Steve's dad was. So he would come in with a little bit of like notoriety when we would come into camp and counselors would, you know, give him a little bit of crap sometimes. But over time, it just became, they'd start calling him Snapper Jr. And when, Sna- when, when he heard Snapper Jr., his face would just go, <laughs> kicks would pump out. <laughs> he didn't like that. No, he didn't like it at all. And everybody knew he didn't like it. So, like, throughout middle school and high school, anybody older than us that, that had, like, a little bit of the ability to make fun of Steve, they called him Snapper Jr. And then we started doing it a little bit, but I kind of felt bad. So we didn't do it too much. <laughs> so was that just, like, uh, Dad had his thing, but I'm my own person. Like, I don't want to be known as the junior. Yeah, like, you can sprinkle it in doses, but, like, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm my own human. Like... <laughs> I don't have to just be Snapper Jr. That was my thing. I was like, I'm I'm Steve as well, but like, I'm Steve. You just call me Steve. Then they're, they're going to ask me what Snapper is. I'm not going to tell you. So, <laughs> Steve, so when we would scout a player who was the son of a, of a player, didn't matter what his name was, his name instantly just became Junior. So like, Jerry and Grant wasn't Jerry and Grant. He was Harvey Grant Jr. Right until <laughs> until you did something that made us like oh okay so now you're your own guy so Steph Curry was Del Curry Jr. even though I think technically he is Del Curry Jr. but we just call him Del Curry Jr. and then he he <laughs> lit up Duke or somebody like that and we're like oh shit no he's he's his own guy <laughs> now if your name happens to already be Jr. so for instance Gerald Henderson Jr. he became Gerald Henderson Jr. Jr. Just add a second junior. Junior, junior. <laughs> no, you did like a squared. Yeah, wow. until they do something that makes all you're your own prospect. Now we're going to drop the name. The, the second junior just going to be Gerald Henderson Jr. after that. Coop, Steve was just talking about the ice cream at your wedding. And I wanted to say that it was kind of weird flavors. So do you remember the ice cream at your wedding? 
Yeah, man, we had Salt and Straw, which just got to Miami. Yeah, it's good. We got a little piece of Portland, Miami now. Um, and we had, what was it? We had olive oil ice cream was one flavor. And we had like a strawberry rhubarb. And I think the other one was Stumptown Coffee or something like that. So we had that instead of cake. And the worst part was, is uh, somebody's wife was in charge of the ice cream after the reception and maybe had it put in the fridge instead of the freezer at the menu. Mm. Does this sound oh. familiar? Wow, she just had just <laughs> goo everywhere in the fridge. Did yeah. it ruin anything else in the fridge, or was it luckily? No, just- we just had a, we had a whole gallon tub of like goo. It was it was awesome. Nice, <laughs> nice. I think I had the olive oil ice cream. I think that's Ew. what I had. Oh, it's the best. Why, oh, man? So why? Why are we going <laughs> olive oil? Are y'all that bored? Is that what's happening? We're so bored with ice cream flavors that I'm going to look at the grossest thing in my cabinet and be like, make that into ice cream. Whoa, whoa, bro! You're ha- you're hating on olives and olive oil, like olive oil as as a man when they pour some fresh olive oil into that bowl and you get some bread and maybe they sprinkle some seasonings on Word. there. Where did you have bread and seasonings on your ice cream? We shoulda. <laughs> yeah, it sounds delicious. It sounds amazing. Gross. Hey, Coop, I just wanted you to say what's up. Yeah, hey, I got one more story I want to tell about Steve. Look at his face. He knows the story I'm going to tell, too. <laughs> oh, man, this was, I think, seventh grade, right? I'm not going to name the school, but it was back oh, in the Oh, is this the fight story? Oh, uh, this is the fight story. <laughs> uh. So I was, like, out playing soccer for a recess one day. You know, you get your 15, 20 minutes of, of recess. And it was, like, it was a dewy Portland fall day. It was, kind of, it was wet. And raining as it does in Portland. And I remember seeing Steve out of the corner of my eye. He was like coming up at towards me from like the baseball diamond or whatever it was. And I did like a triple take. I was power walking and stomping. Preening, like, you know, the muscles out and everything. And I did a take. I was like, oh, hey, what's up, man? Oh, what, what's up, man? And then the last one was like, what's up, man? <laughs> and <laughs> he is just on? going full on like he sees blood. And I'm like, I have no idea what this is about. And obviously we were into, you know, wrestling back in the day. So instead of coming up and, you know, like gearing up, like he's going to throw a punch or something like that, he goes full crouch mode. Like he's going to Goldberg spear me. Like he goes straight for the waist and he tries to grab my legs and pick me up and flip me down. The problem is. Or boom stick. Yeah. Yeah. Like the problem was, is what? <laughs> it was Portland and we were in the grass. So he slips. Oh no. Oh, man. And so I just do like a quick sidestep, put my hand on his back, and he goes sailing, like slip and slide (laughs) right down the mud. And at this point, I still don't know what's going on. So I'm like, I don't want to fight you. You're my friend, dude. What's going on? I, at this point, am defeated and muddy. (laughs) Yeah, I got to play this off. (laughs) I've stomped all the way here, so I have to see this out. So he gets back up, and he goes, I don't know, do you go for like two or three more? Yeah, I went for two or three more spears. (laughs) None of them were successful. (laughs) Just swinging a miss mud the entire time. My nice little, I think I had an orange shirt on. I had like an orange Abercrombie shirt oh, and some no. like green cargo pants. You had the orange Abercrombie sweater. Yep. And I had a green Abercrombie sweater. Might have been like a turtleneck or something. <laughs> we were killing it. Straight up. <laughs> Couldn't ask for anything more. Both those sweaters are totally ruined at that point. And the worst part is, is I didn't find out why we were fighting until like five years later. He never told me. So what was the reason? Oh, come on. You can guess. A girl? girl? Yeah. Wow! <laughs> but then we then we shot hoops later that day. Oh yeah, we went. We had practice. It was cool. You know, there's no no worries at all. But the 
the principals were like, what are you guys doing? And we're in this the principal's office, like dripping mud on the floor. They're like, what's going on, guys? I'm like, I don't know. So hold on. Who was at fault? I don't think it was me. If I recall correctly, it was a miscommunication. I was fed uh, misinformation. Oh. oh. Fake news. Fake, fake news. Fake news got me uh, hemmed up. I wouldn't go with that strategy anymore. <laughs> wow. So, like, I, I was expecting having to clear this with, like, the heat. But now we have to clear it with the wives. We got to, like, make sure we're good. Let's hope they don't <laughs> listen to Have a Show. Set your limitations. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure sixth, seventh, eighth grade are off limits there. I think we're clear for those. If it was high school, different story. Well, we're about to get in some Ben Simmons talk here, Coop. So I will let you go. But that was a fantastic story. I appreciate you, and I appreciate the salt and straw, the olive oil ice cream. You can hate all you want, I mean, but it's delicious. Gross. You'll find out someday. That guy over there is Steve Jones Jr., a.k.a. Pork Chop, a.k.a. Chopper, a.k.a. Pork. I don't know if anyone calls you Pork, but hey, it's going to happen here on the show. He is the fame. Follow on Twitter at Steve Jones 20. He is as good as anybody, if not the best at X's and O's in the NBA. Former video coordinator and assistant coach for the Brooklyn Nets and for Lionel Hollins, not just in Brooklyn, but also in Memphis. Lots of war stories, grit and grind era Memphis and, hey, Brooke Lopez in, in Brooklyn. We'll get to that later. Also, you can find him at the Dunker Spot with Nikias Duncan. Thank you for uh, hopping on the show with us. Thanks again for having me. I'm excited to come in here and just leave a mess, be a bull in a china shop today. Yes, pork chop. Love it. When you're watching the NBA Conference Finals right now, you got Eastern Conference Finals with Mike Budenholzer, which you prepped against back with Brooklyn, right? You were going against Atlanta, the 60-win Atlanta team. And I'll start with here because, I mean, we've talked about this before. Video coordinators are like the most important people in the, the unsung heroes of the playoff prep. It also brings to mind how different the postseason is to the regular season. So please explain why when you look at the numbers from the regular season or you see a certain player doing well in the regular season and then the postseason comes around, Steve, why is it so much different, like two different seasons? Uh, Because of the preparation that goes into it. So regular season, you may have your game plan, you may have your things you want to do, but it's kind of base-like, like you're kind of copy and pasting a little bit with maybe a little bit more emphasis here, depending on who the star is and all that stuff. Playoffs, you are locked in. Like, we know what you're going to run. We know when you're going to run it. We know your lineups that you're going to throw out there. We know how to affect your rhythm, know how to take your star away. So that's where you may have the opportunities where guys who, quote unquote, are role guys, bench guys, others shine more because we're paying more attention to these guys. We're trying to make it hard on them. So there's going to be more opportunities for them in the flow of the game. Um but that's the biggest part is just understanding everything you're trying to do. Like I, I have to know you in and out, what you want to do late in games, clutch situations, uh, what happens when, you know, you guys go on a run, what, what lineup are you going to go to? What's your small lineup? What's, what are you doing? Cause I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to take all that away and I'm going to figure out each problem one by one. So that's the biggest difference. It's, it's a laser focus that's kind of difficult to explain sometimes. And they say video guys are the unsung heroes. We're the never sung heroes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're working for a coach who used to be a video coordinator, right? Not even. What? 
Not even. Let me tell you, not even. They judge your work harder. That might be. Yeah, that might be worse. <laughs> that might be worse than having a, a former player as a coach, man. That's like you know, Thomas is like if you're in college, if you're black in college, and you go take an African American studies course, like the and the teacher is black, they are going to teach you a lot harder than they are everybody else. Like there's a higher expectation and stuff. Nah, man, there's you don't want to work for a, a guy who used to be a video coordinator because the worst part is. Not only are they going to critique the work, but they're going to critique the workload. Like, what? Back in my day, I had to go reel to reel, and I was in a projection room, and da-da-da. And, like, and you guys have all your fancy DVRs and stuff like that. I wish I had that. And so they're just going to pile more work on you to accommodate for the free time that you have because they're thinking about how they used to have to do it. Man. This is this is hard to take because I'm like Mike Bunholz, a former v- video room guy, or James Bray, a former video room. You're telling me that like they they won't give you praise if you if you do a good report or like man. Uh, actually, I don't think I've ever heard a coach being like, "Hey, we uh we had a good game plan against uh is it Nick Uren, the only the only one that a coach has ever given a shout out to in like this stage of the playoffs, being like, "Hey, Andre Godala. Nick wasn't a video guy by the time that happened. Nick started as a video guy, but when that that happened in the finals, he when he was working for the Warriors, he was I think his the title was special assistant to the head coach. Yeah, Steve is nodding like, "Yep, not video coordinator." He graduated. Your best your best hope is you say something and it gets attributed to like a, a different coach. Yep. Or or the guys in a timeout. You'd be like, "Ah, yeah, they paid attention to what I said. I see it." <laughs> they sing your name for one reason, Tom. Why the fuck is the fridge empty? Like, I thought I wanted my Diet Coke. That's the only time your name gets sung. I was looking at your, like, job titles with with the Grizzlies. What was the most appropriate job title with the Grizzlies? Like, it says video intern, video associate, video coordinator, but video manager maybe was thrown in there. But, Steve, what was, like, the most accurate job title? Video associate was probably the best one. It's always funny. Like, the NBA names for jobs, like, they'll find a name for a job for you. All made up. It's insanity. Like when you see the like the promotion, we want to put a guy in player development, but we can't really put him in player development. So he's going to be the assistant to the video room slash scout. Mm-hmm. Like they'll put a slash in there. Like you're the director. Like we're going to promote you. Even if you're on the bench? Oh, yeah. Tom, it doesn't matter. I was the assistant director of basketball operations. There was no director of basketball operations. <laughs> <laughs> they literally just like, we, we don't want to bump you all the way up to director right now. So like just park here and then like in a couple of years, you'll be director. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> That's their promotion. Like, oh, you know, you're a director now. You're the director yep. of video operations. And it's like, yep. I have the same task as video coordinator. Yep. No, you, you do, you're doing the same job. <laughs> like my life didn't change. It was just like, yeah, just call this now. That's crazy. So the, I didn't never, I was kind of always wondering like, who are you the assistant to? like the director that you worked underneath. When it comes to coaching, we call you assistant to the something because assistant coach means you get, you get on the coach's pension. So effective immediately, I am promoting you from assistant to the regional manager to assistant regional manager. And so that's the only title that it actually like means something. They call you an assistant coach. That's a big deal because now you're pension eligible with, through the uh, coaches association. So that's why... What Steve said, like, they come up with these creative things that aren't quite assistant coach, but even though your, like, your job duties or whatever might mirror that of an assistant coach. That's why you see all the, all the player development assistants, where the key word is player development. It starts with player development. 
So for me, when I got bumped in Brooklyn, they said, Hey, we're going to bump you up. I'm like, this is fantastic news. <laughs> so I get, I get, I get the contract and it says assistant coach for player development. <laughs> now the order of that was very important. So because it said assistant coach first, I was good. Right. But they did slide that in there so that the number could be what it was. But I was cool. No <laughs> complaints. I'm just saying, like, there's there's all sorts of sneak. Like, you can see it from a mile away. If you watch these transactions or staff openings or new promotions, they're all very similar. Someone's getting a made-up title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, that, that, what? So, in Brooklyn, you were the assistant coach of player development? Uh, assistant coach for player development. Very fancy. For player development, for Lionel Holland. So who's on this team? So it's Darren Williams, Brooke Lopez, Joe, uh, Iso, Iso Joe is on that team. KG, Joe Johnson, Allen Anderson. Paul Pierce. Paul was gone. Paul was gone. As he went to Washington? Yeah, he was going to call game. <laughs> uh, we had Mace, Mason Plumley. Boyan, right? Was Boyan on that team? Bogey was there. Yes, he was. God, I love Bogey. We had a lot of talent, but. Ugh. Was Toledovich there or was he gone? Sladovich was there, but then he had the uh, the thing. The, the heart so, thing. Yeah. yeah, he had the heart thing. At, Kirilenko was there at the start. Oh. It was like the the tail end of that. Remember that one? Oh, like the AK-47. Remember when everyone swore like the bag? They gave him the, took it back to college. He got like a, a duffel bag full of money for, straight from Russia to opt out of his deal in Utah to, or Minnesota, wherever he was, and sign for nothing in Brooklyn. That was a good time. So was he ever there? Yeah, he was there. Until he wasn't. Uh, <laughs> but he was still around. But then they, you know, they tore that down kind of quickly because we, we stumbled along, made the playoffs, eight seed. Everyone's like, cool, great. Uh, and now we're about to move on. So they come back the next year and the moves are like Thomas Robinson and let's get rid of everyone else. And it was kind of like, hey, that was great. Y'all do that again because we, we, we trying to pivot. And it was like, <laughs> I don't know if we can replicate that. <laughs> what were the circumstances of the KG trade? So did he want out or was it just like, hey, we got we to gotta bring in Thad Young in here? He didn't want out. It was, t- it was time. They were just trying to move on from that part of it. You know what I mean? Piece by piece by piece. And his was the first domino to fall because he had the opportunity, I think, to go back and kind of write that story that way. So it kind of worked out in that sense. Do you have a soft spot for Brooke Lopez? Because he's still playing at a high level in the playoffs here. Did you see this guy becoming the stretch five in in 2021 in the conference finals? The stretch five part, yes. Uh, it was the defense I didn't see coming. So everyone knew Brooke could shoot. And Brooke wanted to shoot all the time. But it was a different time. And his post game is something we needed. And his pick and roll game was something we needed. I mean, we made the playoffs basically running one play where Brooke would set a pick and roll at the elbow, take one step, and then shoot a right-hand floater. Mm-hmm. And that bo- buoyed our run from 15 games under 500 to eight games under 500. <laughs> but the three-point part, he always wanted to shoot, although I am mad at Brooke Lopez for that. I'm just going on a tangent. The next year, uh, after they had fired uh, Billy Kane, they fired Coach Hollins. So I'm on the front row of the bench. We play Indiana. That was my scout. And I said, yo, Miles Turner is always in the paint. Let's get Brooke a three to start the game. Here's this play. So I draw it up. It's like a, it's a pistol with a hammer on the weak side for Brooke Lopez. So Brooke starts on the wing. Miles Turner is biting on it. He is sitting dead set in the paint. Brooke flares to the corner. They hit him. 
airballs the hell out of this three. Like airballs the hell out of it. I was like, oh my God, this is perfect. And I was like, oh. Did everyone turn to look at you? Yeah. Yeah, real quick. <laughs> yeah. The the word the <laughs> absolute worst is when you have something that is sound, but just for whatever reason, that one time it doesn't work the way and then everyone looks at you. We were playing the Knicks 2008, I want to say. This is Wilson Chandler's rookie year. If you remember Wilson Chandler, when he first came out of the ball, he couldn't shoot for shit, right? So our scouting report, which, like, we did. Like, I was one of the guys that had to do it. Like, can't shoot, sag off him, da-da-da-da. He hit, like, three 18-footers in that game. And Roger Bell turns and he looks at us like, you motherfuckers even watch this guy play? <laughs> Like, I swear to God, it's the first time he's ever done this. But, like, it didn't matter at that moment. Like, yeah, he made the shot. So, say, same thing. The funniest part is he could miss the next 10. Doesn't matter. He might have make another three for the next week. It does not matter. Your reputation no. is tarnished. He didn't make any threes, by the way. He made 18-footers. Oh, that's even worse. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, it was just the middle of nowhere. They still count like, for two, went, guys. It's like, what do, you, what do you want? In front of our bench, too. Because I was like, because yeah. I just get that look from Roger like, oh, shit, man. <laughs> Brooks defense, I didn't mean to cut it off, but Brooks defense is what I wasn't surprised. I was surprised by actually. Right. He was bad. He used to be bad, man. It was a constant struggle as far as what do we do with Brook? Do we bring him up high to the level and hope it works out? Or do we keep him back in a drop and give up all this space? And we never quite figured it out. But him reinventing himself into I'm going to be the best paint protector or one of the best paint protectors in the league. And I'm, I'm going to play a drop. I'm going to make it work. I'm going to block shots. I'm a weak side help. But the rotation he made late in that Brooklyn game, as far as going from the top of the key, going to the rim, getting a block, is different. He figured something out. So I, I always salute him for that. So, Tom, we had this whole theory that because, like, Brooke and Robin, literally their entire lives, they always played on the same team. So they developed this weird delegation of duties, right, where Brooke was like, I'm going to shoot and post up and do all this shit. And Robin was like, okay, I'm going to rebound and defend and do all this shit. And so they got to the league and their income, like, Brooke was terrible defensively, man. Like, we used to go at him every single time. And Robin, for us, it was like, it's easier to get offense out of him because you're playing with Steve Nash. Like, all you got to do is screen and roll hard, catch and finish. And he was, like, number one in pick and roll, uh, roll man stuff uh, that, like, second, his second year in the league. Uh, but it was just funny to see kind of like, because they would come in, you know, either Robin would fly out in the, in the summer to New York or Brooke would come to Phoenix and you'd watch them work out together. And it was just like cooking, like just Clash of the Titans. Release the Kraken. They just bang into each other and just nothing but like high pitched wailing. You stop it. You fouling me. You always foul me. Like the whole time you can hear it from outside the practice facility. It was real funny, man. But yeah, no, it was, it was, that's the thing watching Brooke was like, yo, he's, he's a, a good defensive player. He's become a, a, a good, a, a, a contributing defensive player. And, and obviously number one in rim protection for a couple of years there. Fucking it just, it's, it's one of those things. Do you get frustrated when you see that, Steve? It's a tough pill to swallow, especially if you were like, nah, he can, he can do this. I promise. Like you're pushing for it, like now nah, he can do it, and he doesn't do it for you, and he does it somewhere else. It's like, right? Damn, I knew you could do it. <laughs> Why didn't you just do it here? <laughs> then you start looking in the mirror, 
It's it's all bad. That's what that's you love getting the most out of a guy. Is it me? <laughs> no, yeah, I look right in the mirror like, damn, did I not coach that well enough? Did I not? <laughs> did we not talk about this? Because I swear we talked about just stand. Anyways, it's it's rough. Well, this is a good segue here because I want to talk about Ben Simmons and the kind of the kind of talk that we have around the country about Ben Simmons is that he's a bust now because of what he did in the in the series and he's a fraud and the slander is coming out strong for Ben Simmons and what he did in that series. I guess at the tail end of games mostly. Um, I did a Charlotte Hornets like lo- local Charlotte broad uh, radio hit like a an hour ago and they just played slander from Philly sports radio for like 10 minutes. They just ran clip after clip of Philly sports radio. They're, they're not even making fun of Ben Simmons in Charlotte. They're just playing the clips that are making fun of Ben Simmons. Like there's three degrees to this shit where it's content for everybody. And I'm, I'm on the radio hit being like, yo, if you're Charlotte, like, Yes, go after Ben Simmons now. Go after like if you you can't get a talent like Ben Simmons in Charlotte in free agency. Like, go get him. And they're like, what? No, like he's terrible. He's a fraud. And I'm like, yo, he's 24 years old, and he's gonna be able to develop or change his scenery. Like maybe this is a mental thing that he has to get out of Philly, right? Tom, literally, he can never get better. He can stay this good for the rest of his career. He's a Hall of Famer. Wow. He cannot get better. He can be this dude for the rest of his career. We're going to shit on him. We're going to like say, oh, my God, he, he, he came up short in the playoffs, all that stuff. He's still going to be like a 17-time defensive player, uh, uh, all-defensive team. He's going to be an all-star. He's going to make a bunch of all-NBA teams. He's going to win a couple of depoys. He's elite at so many things. It's just this one part of his game. It's going to hurt you. But if you build around that, like that's my thing. If like you build a team where – A, everyone else is a spacer, and B, you're not relying on him to make clutch plays or whatever. I think you could still be a pretty good team. Steve, when you watch Ben Simmons in that series, what are you seeing? Like what when your eyes, not just X's and O's, but your your history around the game, what are you seeing when you see Ben Simmons? In that series, I saw a mindset shift. At some point he lost his confidence, it was leaking, and then he became timid, which was the issue for Ben Simmons. Like I thought this year his usage stepped in the right direction because he's kind of like a Swiss army knife. You can use him in a lot of different ways. Uh, use it, whether he's cutting, he's screening, doing dribble handoffs, the post-ups. I thought the post-ups were going to be the thing that helped put him over the hump in the playoffs. And I was dead wrong. But as the series progressed, he got less aggressive. We saw less of him making plays and more of him passing and cutting to the dunker spot and standing and watching. And that Ben Simmons doesn't have an impact. It can't be that. It has to be the multiple options. It has to be, I can hurt you this way. I can be a threat in the post-up. Maybe you'll double. Maybe I'll score. Maybe we'll run sets out of it. But it just didn't feel like he was as involved as the series progressed. I don't know if it was the free throws. I don't know what it was. But his mindset shifted to where I'm going to try and get my team the best shot, and I don't think it's me. And that, I feel like, is the issue as far as he goes. Like, I think he thinks he is incredible. I think he thinks he can impact the game in ways that not a lot of people can. Because, I mean, look at the impact he has offensively, and he doesn't look to shoot. Like, how many players can do that? Like, imagine if John Rant really just never shot a jumper. Never shot. By the way, no, it's not a never shot a jumper. Never shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had, a, he had an open dunk and passed away from it. And that was like the... <gasps> it's crazy because that's, that's the one instance everyone is is homing in on, and, and rightfully so, but he took four shots in the game. In the game before that, he took five shots. 
And the game before that, he took four shots. And I think that's the problem. Obviously, it's a problem if you're passing up on dunks. But someone sent me like a stat news stat that like uh, he's never hit a shot outside of 10 feet in his postseason career. I'm like, I don't give a fuck. Like, I want him to shoot. Like, I'm pretty sure Shaq doesn't have one either in his postseason career. But we don't, we don't have this conversation about Shaq. Why? Because he never shied away from getting the ball and being aggressive with it around his kill zones, right? Around the paint. Like Ben Simmons' kill zone is around the paint. All right, so get 17 shots up. Get 20 shots up. Like, get shots up. Get 30 free throw attempts. Dude, hit 10 out of 30. I guarantee you it's going to have an impact, even, even with the 20 missed free throws. But the problem is, like like Steve said, man, he's playing scared. Like It's timid and scared. And the, the, actually, the, the way you put it was perfect. I'm going to get my team the best shot, and it's not going to be me. Like it, it, I'm not going to be the best option ever, ever, ever to take this shot. So, Steve, I want to ask you, in your years, without naming names, uh, what's a situation where you dealt with a player who had confidence issues like that? I uh, had a few. I had plenty where guys either lost their way or stopped believing what they did. They lost that mindset to where plays they would automatically make before whether it's coming off pick and roll and going right into a pull-up or whether it's getting the swing and shooting it, they pass it up or they drive and look for another pass. And you look at the pattern, it's like you're, you can tell when a guy has it, the mindset-wise. Even if it's just like a Marcus Morris or a Jordan Clarkson or something like that, you can tell when the mindset is there. They're aggressive. They're going to let it fly. And you can tell when a guy is thinking about it. And, and that's the worst thing for an offensive player. You know, if, if you're a coach, you're generating these looks for – X, Y, and Z to do something. And you get the look you want and they don't take it. And now it's like, well, what, what are we doing? Why do we do that? You know, if we're, if we're running the pick and roll for you to get this shot and you keep looking for the roll, then what are we doing? You know, <laughs> who's going to sn- snap him out of it? Like, is it going to be someone in his family? Is it going to be like a new head coach? But like in your, in your time in the game, when you have a player who's just in that funk is there any sort of button you push? Is it? I'm guessing it's different for uh, different individuals. But when you say, "All right, hey, Ben Simmons, it, he's going to come out of this," but what is it going to take for a player of that caliber to realize, like, I need to be shooting more. I need to be aggressive. Like, who is it that pushes that button? I think it's more than one factor. I think you can build a relationship. You can have the conversations. You can show the film, but you have to have an understanding of him as a player. So like we talked about, I think Ben Simmons thinks he's great no matter what, even if he doesn't shoot, even if he doesn't score. He thinks he can impact the game. After the game, he was like, how many, how many assists, sorry, how many assists did I, oh, 13? Oh, yeah. and how did Trey Young do? Oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Like that was his way of being like, I, I don't need to shoot to be super effective. So I think he believes in that. And I think he believes that he knows the game more than a lot of people. So in a sense, you kind of have to reach that point and have that conversation with him to touch on that to alter the mindset and show, even if it's just film and showing possessions where, hey, you had a chance to come get the ball here, but you cut, you sat, you watched. Is that having the impact? And show those type of plays to say, hey, we respect, we understand what you're saying, we know what you got, but these is, this is what we're missing. It's not just the shooting. It's in the areas that you think you've mastered. And if you can affect there, the rest could come. Or it may be a situation where it has to be a different opportunity, a different fit. He has to play with more guys. Maybe he respects their ability to make plays. 
so maybe it's a situation where he thinks I'm the guy who has to make all the plays. I have to make the right decisions. If he's with other guys where he can take less of that load or he respects their IQ or thinks they can make those same plays, maybe he might be more aggressive and be like, oh, we got it. Let me, if I get it, I'm cutting, I'm driving, I'm cutting, those kind of things. I just don't know if he has the thing that's pushing him. Maybe it's another player. You know, maybe it would be another ball handler where the ball's out of his hand and, and someone that he would respect. I don't know. It, that's the toughest part. I don't know because he thinks he's great and he is really good. He's really good. But the part that he doesn't do is the loudest for everyone to see. Like everyone can comprehend that he's not shooting the ball, he's not scoring. So he's up against it. It was that for LeBron in 2011 when J.J. Barea was guarding him in the post. And it was so – it was the whole world was making fun of LeBron for not having a post game, not being aggressive. I feel like this is Ben Simmons' 2011 Dallas Mavericks series for LeBron where he had to go into his bunker, like he said, and just like stew and like reevaluate his place in the game. Even though LeBron had made it to the finals when he was 22 years old, even though LeBron had won multiple MVPs at that point, he still had a crisis of confidence at that point of like, I don't know who I am. So I almost, and I know they share the same agency, but man, that that's what it feels like to me. I mean, what we're seeing with Ben Simmons is like, there is going to be a, 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 we've reached bottom for him from a confidence standpoint. And I hope that he comes out of this like LeBron did. The problem is, like Steve said, is that if he has, if he's in denial, right? He's in denial that it's a problem. He says, why do I need to do this? I'm great at everything. I'm great at everything else. Why do I need to be, why do I need to be good at this? And that's what stops him. If it was just a matter of a lack of confidence of, of I don't shoot because I'm scared. I'm scared I'm going to miss. I'm scared I'm going to get fouled and go to the free throw line. I'm scared I'm going to miss there. If if you could say that, then you could work on building that confidence and you could work on addressing it head on. But if you have someone who says, I don't know, it's like, it's, it's, it's almost like, like being an alcoholic. It's like, if you say, hey, man, you're drunk all the time and it's ruining your life, you're like, yeah, man, I, I need to get in, in control. That's the first step, right? But if you say, Look, that was one time. I'm all right. But look, I'm, my bills are all paid. I show up to work on time. I, I'm great at my job or whatever. What does it matter if I like to relax a little on the on the couch and pass up open dunks and stay away from the free throw line? What does it matter? I did everything else. And as long as he's like that, it's like he's never going to admit that he's got a problem. Uh, you know, you ask Tom, how, how do you get through? I think either like being traded somewhere else is <laughs> – usually a wake-up call like like they gave up on him in that press conference i don't know if you guys heard oh my god oh buddy they <laughs> both doc ben simmons can, can still be a point guard for for a championship team like the one you guys want to become yeah david i don't know that question or the answer to that right now um you know so i don't know the answer to that and indeed man uh, i'll be honest um i thought the turning point was uh I don't know how to say it, um, but I thought the turning point was just, you know, we had a, an open shot and, you know, we missed, uh, we made one free throw. While I say, yo, you don't say that in the, like in those scenarios at the same time, I get it. Like I get, they're at the end of their rope. They're at the end of their rope. And they, a play like that in the fourth quarter, in game seven, when you're down two. Again, it's not just that one play, but that one play just kind of sums 
years. That's years of frustration there for Embiid. For Doc, it's a year of frustration, all summed up in one play right there. Bro, you got a problem. That was his, I went to my sister's wedding and threw up all over the, the, the cake <laughs> and then like collapsed and pissed myself on the floor. Threw up all the olive oil ice cream all over the cake, yeah. All the pistachio ice cream is on the ground. <laughs> so you paying for the reception doesn't make up for that, bro. I, I think over time, he's going to have that and hopefully the people around him are going to be the ones that communicate to them like, yo, this, this is a problem, man. What about Portland? Because you talked about it, Steve. This is in your backyard there. Maybe he needs another ball handler to take off some of those things off his plate, like a Dame Lillard, to kind of realize like, all right, you get you take care of that and I can just focus on like all the other things that make me great. Because I don't think he comes back to Philly. I think once Doc Rivers said that and once Joel Embiid said that, I pack your bags, it's over. It's game over. And Doc Rivers walked it back after and said, you know, press conference. He said, uh, oh, we're, we've got the right plan in place, the right program. We think we're going to get his jumper. Like everything's going to be working out. He has to say that because they'd lost so much trade leverage after those comments that they kind of have to build it back up to make Daryl Morey's job a little bit easier. Because if everyone knows that you're trying to get rid of this guy and that it's over, those those trade offers are not going to be very enticing. So they're going to have to rehabilitate his stock for the next days, weeks, whatever it is. But when you look across the league on teams that could use Ben Simmons, there's probably a longer list than what people are willing to acknowledge in this moment. But for me, CJ McCollum, a deal surrounding C.J. McCollum and a Ben Simmons swap makes a lot of sense to me. Makes a lot of sense, both salary-wise, fit-wise, because Daryl Morey and the Sixers are going to want shooting, shooting, shooting around Joel Embiid. And then on the other side, Portland's defense is awful, awful. And you get a young guy who can um, maybe raise the ceiling of Portland, because just like Philly, they've hit that ceiling. And it's time for something different. And so I'm wondering from you, I know it's Portland in your backyard, but what do you think about the fit there for, let's just say, a CJ McCollum and, and Ben Simmons swap? Well, I think it'd be very interesting. I think the defensive part would be huge because Portland hasn't had that guy to throw at someone, uh, multiple options, multiple positions, point of attack. So that would be a big plus. And you get another playmaker, someone you can use in different ways. So you have a variety of things you can run. And you can still let Dame be Dame. So I th- I think that would work. Uh, the problem is, I think Simmons would help a lot of teams. It's just who is willing to give up something for it is where I, I run into the issue. But I think he would help Portland a lot, actually. See, I, I'd be interested if they could find a way to get him without giving up CJ, but that'd be impossible. <laughs> so this is the part where I'm like, if you're Philly, are you going to trade this dude for CJ McCollum? No disrespect to CJ, but... You can't do that. And not unless you can send me seven first round picks, then maybe we'll talk about it. But I'm not, I'm not, I, I can't. This dude's all NBA. CJ hasn't even made an all-star game. This dude is a leader in his position. CJ's a guy at his position. This guy, you know, has the capacity, the 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 upside, the ceiling to be MVP of this league, perhaps one day. CJ is who he is, a great scorer, a great teammate, but Kind of limited in in what he can do outside of that. You still have a point guard issue if you're if you're trading for CJ McCollum. To me, I, the first thing I start with is: Can we see about getting a point guard in here? Kyle Lowry, Chris Paul. If you, if you're crazy, like Mike get someone in here. Yeah. Mike Con- get someone in here 
and let's see how that works. And if it doesn't work, like if you're moving him to power forward or whatever doesn't work, then I think you start to discuss uh, moving him. Because the other part about like, oh, they got to move Ben Simmons that people seem to neglect. Like if Simmons and Embiid can't work, got to move Simmons. Can you guarantee me that Embiid going to be healthy? Can you guarantee me that Embiid is going to be in shape? Like, okay, he was in shape for the first time this year. The first, what, seven years into his career, he finally got into shape. That's it. He's going to be like this forever. And he still got hurt. So you are ta- saying, I'm going to take this all NBA, fun, you know, like foundational level player. And I'm going to trade him for something all right right now. It's a lot of assumptions going in there that I, I, I'm just, I'm not sold on. Like, I, I'm, I'm thinking, if I'm trading Ben Simmons, I either got to get someone who's, like, clearly, like, you told me Ben for, I know it's not going to happen, but if you tell me we're doing that for Damian Lillard, now that's a conversation. Now that's a conversation. Uh, because I know I'm getting back a player of, you know, um, near commiserate value dame's worth more but like they're within the same conversation but we can't be talking different tax brackets here with the player you're getting in return and that goes back to what you're saying tom people in charlotte said oh i would never want ben simmons like are you out of your mind like this dude is better right now and probably will be better than every player on your roster uh the mellow included he's it's a level it's a level Look, I get it. LaMelo's going to hit shots and he's going to wow people or whatever. But you talk about a dude 6'10", who can guard everybody and lead the league in assists and rebound. And when he's got his mind on it, can finish around the basket. Like I said, if you just stop there and he never gets better, that's already a top 15 player in the league. Year in and year out. And he's durable. I'm not with the, well, he had a bad... You know, he's been messing up the same way, so now we got to get rid of him fire sale style. And that's that's what makes Doc's comments and Embiid's comments so damaging, is that now they've painted him in the picture internally. Oh, we're fed up with him. And now you got to talk about C.J. McCollum deals. Yeah, because I, I feel like a lot of people were expecting Ben Simmons to be Magic or LeBron in terms of this big body who can play point and just barrel his way to the basket and just be that type of player. Because there's not many guys, his prototype of like 6'10", built like a power forward who can move like that. And the list is very short. It's LeBron and Matt. But I feel like the better comp to me is if if Ben Simmons, oh, this is going to sound like slander, but it's not. It is. <laughs> Ben Simmons, I feel like if he thinks of himself as Draymond, Ooh, yeah. just be depoy, guard everybody one through five, facilitate, and be Draymond, the best, a taller, stronger version of Draymond. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's an amazing. Be like Bam. Bam can't shoot either, although he, he added the 15 footer this year, but he never looked scared. Well, I shouldn't say that because he did look fucking scared a couple of times this year. But, <laughs> <laughs> like, I'll tell you another comp Jason Kidd. Taller Jason Kidd. Like, Jason Kidd, for the longest time in his career, wasn't an offensive player. Well, a scorer, you're saying? As a scorer, yeah. As a scorer. Obviously, the playmaking was was top-notch. But, like, he never... I think he dipped below 10 field goal attempts a game, like, one time in his career. Right? Like, one season early in his career. Like, just give me give me 10 shots. I don't care where they come from. Bro, if you want a uh, jacket from, from half court, 
But like what's happened with Ben Simmons is he started at 12, like his rookie year, and he's been going down ever since. He's getting more and more scared. And at, and at, and at tracks, think of Ben Simmons, that first playoff run they had when they beat Miami. Two different players. We never had any conversations about being scared or anything like that. He was playing. He was playing basketball. Ultimately, that's what you asked for. Just go out there and play basketball, man. Don't don't corrupt the game by like passing when you're not supposed to pass. When you talk about other fits, like when we're we're looking at Portland, mm, we'll see about CJ. But like Charlotte to make the money where it could be like Gordon Hayward and Devontae Graham for a deal for for Ben Simmons. But are there any other teams? in the league that you look at and you're like, all right, if it's not going to work out in Philly, this is where I, I could see Ben Simmons be fulfilling his potential. The toughest part is thinking about how they would get him. Like I could see him reinventing the wheel and helping Minnesota or like a Toronto. Cause he, he has the talent to help a bunch of teams. Like if Denver could get him, boy, that's a dream him cutting off Jokic. But the toughest part is how, how do they acquire such a talent? You know well, what I mean? It's going to take a Michael Porter Jr. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, do you want to give up what it would take to get him? And, you know, he would add to a team. I don't know if he, if you're having to give up parts of your team to get him, does it have the same pop? But that's the dilemma, right? Like, if you're going to get, if you're going to get Carmelo out of Denver, like, you're going to have to trade the farm to get him. Is that worth it? At this point, I think it's a big win if you can get him on the low. But I don't know if it's a big win if you have to really pay to get him. So, like, for me, I'm thinking, like, I'd love to see him in Memphis, but Memphis can't get him. You know, that's where I'm I'm stuck at. I'm stuck with the teams that can't get them. So that's why I kind of lean on Portland. Portland might be the best bet. Yeah, it's going to be tough to get them. But I, I also look at Daryl Morey. How often is it in the in the league where they hire a coach before the GM? They have two vacancies and they hire the coach before the GM. That's very rare. The GM usually hires his guy. So the reverse part is weird. I kind of feel like when you're, when you're looking at that, that situation, I don't know if Doc Rivers is going to be back. Like, I don't I don't think he's going to be back. In my in my estimation from here, and I'm gonna pull the Mike Greenberg, Amin El Hassan impression here. I don't have any sources here. I don't have I don't have any inside knowledge. But what I will say, I don't see Daryl Morey bringing back Doc Rivers as the coach because he's not his pick. Like Daryl Morey has enough uh, clout in today's NBA and enough credibility in today's NBA where he's gonna look at Joel and B and be like, "All right, let's find my coach for you." And have his stamp on this organization. And I think he was playing nice the first year with Doc Rivers and being like, all right, he's a Hall of Fame coach. He's uh, a champion. He's He's got the right credibility from getting young superstars to play Lob City or Boston, like to play, uh, you know, championship caliber basketball. But man, that meltdown down the stretch with Ben Simmons it obviously didn't work. Whatever Doc Rivers' strategy to pump up Ben Simmons, and he's done this before with DeAndre Jordan. I remember writing a story about this, is that Doc Rivers before a season, I think he called like DeAndre Jordan Bill Russell 2.0. He was like, he's def- he could be a defensive player of the year. DeAndre Jordan can be a defensive player of the year. He could be Bill Russell. He's the next coming of Bill Russell. And I'm sitting there like, yo, Doc. <laughs> like, what are you smoking, man? Like DeAndre Jordan being Bill Russell? Come on now. But he does this. And the same thing with, with Ben Simmons is he he was downright like offensive when you ever said like anything negative about Ben Simmons, he would come right back at you. Like, like, are you kidding me? Like this guy, whatever problems, I'll take it. Because this guy, if you want, if you know basketball, he would question your basketball IQ if you ask, like, hey, Ben Simmons, like not playing up to his abilities. Doc Rivers would come back at you and like be like, I'll take that guy nine times out of nine, right? But then when he's asked after the game, 
is he still in your mind a championship caliber point guard? And he says, man, I don't know. I don't know. That that tells me that he feels, Doc Rivers feels, that he was not betrayed by Ben Simmons, but man, he's fed up because he's been gassing up Ben Simmons all, all this season and been in his corner. And then this is how he repays him in the sense of like, man, you're making me look bad as a head coach because I was supposed to fix this whole thing. I was supposed to come in here and get you guys to play in the finals. And here we are flaming out against this team, the Atlanta Hawks, um, in, in, the, in the second round. So... In terms of coaching and what the what the 76ers are going to do, it just seems like to me Daryl Morey is going to find his coach. Whether it's bringing Mike D'Antoni back or whether it's – I don't know who his coach would be. But it just seems like this is an untenable situation. I hear what I mean saying is the whole idea of like, hey – don't don't sell low on Ben Simmons right now. Like, think about what you can if you can build him back up just even a little bit. You're going to get better trade offers. Bring in another point guard and try this again. I just, I don't, I don't think so. I think, I think Daryl Morey, knowing his past, he's going to be aggressive this offseason. It might come uh, in terms of making a head coaching change. That's interesting. I think Doc might get one more. Think so. I think Doc might get one more, and I think Ben Simmons might get one more as well, or at least a half. In the sense of they may add a point guard and try and get Ben Simmons off the ball and hope maybe that helps or cures it or at least increases his value around the league. So maybe you can try and poke at a team that has a fledgling star or someone who wants to leave. You still have that trade chip to where you can cash in on it then. Uh, I think that – and I wouldn't be surprised if Doc – that they moved on from Doc, but I do think he'll get one more. I think he'll get one more just because he's only had one year with this team. So while Philly has had these flameouts, it's – Doc's only had one. It was a bad one. I mean, because they had big leads. Is it just one? No. (laughs) There's some big numbers around that. I know that. I'm Tom Haverstrow, and you're watching The Big Number. (laughs) Most chances to clinch losses. I mean, there's down 3-1 and all that. Uh, I think the down 3-1 thing is so overrated because you have to get three wins to blow a 3-1 lead. That's my thing. Um, uh, Maze has has a couple options here in the chat. Uh, for Bradley Beal, if Bradley Beal this summer says, "Hey, man, I I'm I'm done. Like we're good. You, you fired Scott Brooks. I'm not going to keep redoing this. Um, I I want out." If he comes to Tommy Shepard, the GM in in DC, or goes to ownership and says, "I'm out," that could be a framework of a deal that I could see is a w- wizard swap of Ben Simmons and and uh, Bradley Beal. There's another one where. Uh, Mays wants to know a three-way trade. Thunder picks to Washington, Simmons to OKC. Eh, I think they could just go straight up and then Beal to Philly. I think Washington would do a straight up to get Ben Simmons. I think OKC is giving up any picks right now. (laughs) Matter of fact, they probably asked for seven in that trade if they were involved. Beal would be very interesting. The only problem is he would have to kind of force his way out. Like he'd have to kind of be like, like you said, I'm done. And that's probably why you keep Ben Simmons. Because he's your trade chip if someone says, hey, I'm done. I'm out. I want to be out of here. But the James Harden deal, because if you can't get in it, you're not giving up Embiid. If you don't have Ben Simmons, you're out of luck. What about the locker room, like Joel Embiid and, and Ben Simmons? Like, I just feel like, I, I don't know. Are you are you risking some sort of locker room drama or soap opera where it can get even worse? Like, have you been in a locker room where the two best players just – like it, it held on for one year too long or a half a season too long. Luckily in Memphis, it was great. 
like those guys were connected to a different degree. So even if they had tension, they were like brothers. So you knew it was going to be good. So you never had to really be concerned about top, top guys having beef like that. In Brooklyn, it was more just ego from certain people at certain times. But it was never just a situation where like, we can't figure this out. There's a lot of egos in that Brooklyn locker room, man. You got Joe Johnson, Darren Williams, Brooke Lopez, KG. That, that, I mean, these are all guys who were at the top of their game, all NBA MVP candidates. There's some that were bigger than others, but that's okay. <laughs> so what I would say is it's kind of almost like why I said one more year. It's kind of like the Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell thing. It looked like it was a wrap for those two. Like you could have made an argument. Those two were done. They couldn't come back. It, it was over. They found a way to come back and – They didn't succeed all the way, but they were able to make it work. I think you give it one more shot. I don't think that this is anything that they can't recover from. I don't think it's anything Joel Embiid hasn't said to Ben Simmons at this point. At this point, he hasn't told this man, hey, you need to shoot more. You got to take those shots, make those plays. Then they got a bigger issue. So I feel like it would be a situation where you need those two together. You need Joel to try and connect with Ben in a way to help him feel like he's understood. Because I feel like that's part of the issue, too just from the outside looking in. I feel like the longer this goes on, the more he believes in himself and the more he kind of closes himself to other ideas. And you you may have to see that through if you're not going to get the right offers. So I think Philly's in a real tough spot when it comes to that. Because everything says trade it. Everything says we have enough evidence that this has hit its peak with these two. Mm-hmm. But what are you going to get back? <laughs> Maybe you hold on to him for Bradley, but Brad Beal has a magical season next year with with Washington and whoever is the head coach there, and he never get to get that player. Like a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Is like, man, you can keep holding on to this. Like, hey, we're gonna wait and wait until we trade for an All NBA player. Maybe Damian Lillard comes available next year, or Bradley Beal, or whoever it is, and it just never materializes. And then you're just stunk. You just you're, you're stuck with this. So um, let's just switch gears real quick. I want for people. I was I was just outside. Uh, a neighbor asked me what I thought about this year's postseason and like the the lack of superstars. LeBron, KD, Steph, Kawhi not playing. C, uh, CP out right now. How can you get people? If you could point to one thing, why you need to watch Trey Young or Devin Booker, the two young super two young superstars in the making here. From an X's and O standpoint, or like, can you tell me what makes Trey Young and then separately Devin Booker so fun to watch for you? They're absolutely dynamic playmakers and they're absolutely dynamic scores. So when you look at Trey Young, he can control a game in so many different ways. So we have the ability to hit those deep threes that everyone likes, but we also have the ability for him to turn the corner consistently and get lobs. You know, he's a guy who can fire away and transition, get things going, get his team moving and play with such great pace. Like that's fun to watch. You should enjoy watching Trey Young play basketball, especially at the kind of high level that he's playing at right now. He carved up two straight defenses. Like neither the Knicks or the Sixers could solve that issue as far as Trey Young getting downhill and havoc happening. Whether he's scoring, hitting the floaters, lobs, kickouts, he's the engine. And, and that should be fun to watch because the Hawks do play a fun style of basketball. As far as Devin Booker goes, it kind of goes hand in hand with what Phoenix does. They're just excellent. They adjust all the time. Offensively, they carve you up in different ways. And that's what Devin Booker does. He can give you the pull-ups. He can give you those uh, fadeaways in front of someone's face, come off a screen, a handoff, and, and get to work that way. 
and make the right reads, whether it's hitting DeAndre Ayton, whether it's hitting the pull-up, making the right plays. Those guys are really fun to watch, and they're great shot makers. So you're getting the greatness of the basketball. You're getting them making these reads as young players in the playoffs and making these runs combined with their offensive talent, which should be what brings you to the table anyways. Uh, But I kind of think it's like a steak with some good veggies on the side too. You get a little bit of everything. Isn't it crazy? Like, there's nothing left to knock Devin Booker on. No. The dude just put up a 40-point triple-double in game one of the Western Conference Finals. Without Chris Paul, which I'm sure we should give credit to Chris Paul for him not being there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm just just sitting there like, yeah, all the things, the empty stats, like the people don't want to play with you or doesn't play defense, like it's, it's gone. Like, we've seen it. We've seen it. Whether he does it this postseason the rest of the way or not, like I feel like Devin Booker has quieted the doubters and shut them up in a way that like you can't – like Donovan Mitchell, like to me when he puts up consistently 35 points a night without without having two working legs, like I think we're done. We're, we're done like having the question marks on Donovan Mitchell and Devin Booker. Like I get it. They didn't make it to the second, the third round there in Utah, but man, it's good to see that these guys have ascended in the playoffs um, and played this well. And Devin Booker's in there. I mean, I, I don't know who guards, I don't know who guards Giannis on on Atlanta. I don't know Bogdanovich's ability to play in that series. You know, watching film from the previous game, previous games in the regular season, like Solomon Hill. Do you want how many minutes can you? have with Solomon Hill there down the stretch guarding Giannis, a big body like that? Um, or do you go Clint Capella and then have Gallinari guarding Brooke Lopez and hope – and I think Gallo can do that where it's like if Brooke Lopez wants to take you down into the post, okay. Like I think Gallo can do that and just be big, right? It's the, it's the problem moving laterally that he has. So in terms of that tilt in the series of who guards Giannis, who's going to win that matchup with Giannis – with the Atlanta Hawks, how do you see that playing out? And do you think that's the biggest matchup to watch is, is who guards Giannis and how that plays out? I think it's a very big one to understand. The Capella thing is something you would probably imagine because the Hawks uh, love to use him as a defensive anchor. Um, and this is a good series to get him back to some of that help, standing in the paint, being able to protect. And we know teams like to use that strategy of having a big on Giannis. Hey, hopefully we can catch you on the drive. I mean, they just did it with Blake Griffin for a whole series, and it looked pretty good. So I wouldn't be surprised if it's Capella. The only issue is that would keep him engaged, potentially open him up to foul trouble, and now you've got a problem. Uh, Solomon Hill would probably be a good, like, every now and then spot, maybe some activity. Uh, the interesting part is, will they ever swing and try John Collins? I want to see if they try that, just to allow Capella the room to operate. But this is going to be a tricky series for Clint Capella. Because in the Knicks series, he was dominant as far as helping defensively. Weak side rotations. He was a big part of that Julius Randle game plan because he was always around. He couldn't, he couldn't do that in Philly. One, he was getting attacked all the time. And two, if Embiid was spaced or popping, he had to react. So he didn't have that same flow. So I don't know if this is the series where Atlanta can get back to that with Capella. The bigger concern for me is who guards Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday. And the size that Atlanta has, like I'm concerned about those matchups because Chris Middleton loves small guards. And we saw Lou Will have an impact in the last series. I think Milwaukee would have looked to attack that matchup. 
this is probably one of the first times that Trey Young is going to be attacked in that type of way by both of those guys. Uh, Bogdanovich is hobbled. Uh, hopefully he's healthy, but I don't think they're afraid of that matchup for Middleton. And if those two are going, you got an issue. When you talk about Drew Holiday, uh, man, he hit some big shots there down the stretch, right? Like, But this was looking a lot like Eric, Eric Bledsoe, where it was like, man, it, does he have the ability to finish? Does he have the ability to cut through with defense, get you off the dribble, and be able to create offense for others? Um, and if he does that in this series, I think it's going to be a wrap. Um, obviously, Milwaukee, the better team on paper, and, and Bogdanovich, uh, Bogey has some issues there with his knee. We'll see what happens there. It's a storybook finish for uh, for what a ridiculous like fairy tale season for Nate McMillan and this Atlanta Hawks. Like I don't think anyone would ever hold it against them if they lose in five or six games against Milwaukee. But I do want to you know finish here. Is we have three black head coaches in the Final Four, and I'm wondering, Steve, how much. Is this going to matter in terms of copycat league where people will be like, hey, like there, there was a run over the last couple of years where black head coaches like just at as, as low as it's been the numbers of black head coaches in the league um, in today's era of Black Lives Matter and just more accountability for front offices for workplace issues. Do you see. NBA front offices saying not just because they're three out of the four in the final stages here, but do you see this shifting or do you think it's going to be more to the status quo? And what are the obstacles that you've seen? You you were uh, on the coaching staff for Lionel Hollins. What are things that white head coaches don't have to ask, answer for that black head coaches do? And why is that there that big gap in today's NBA? Well, first off, it would be huge. One of the wins that should open up more doors, hypothetically. I think part of the issue is the type of jobs that black head coaches may have to take to start. So if you look at someone like Lloyd Pierce, getting the opportunity in Atlanta, that's his first, that kind of his starter kit. And then when it's time to win, he's not going to get the same rope. And not even arguing the semantics of it. He doesn't get the same rope. Now he's out. Now what opportunity would he get next? You know, that's the second shot for the black head coaches. Right. It's like J.B. Bickerstaff, like, takes over for Kevin McHale. And then it's like, no matter how good he does, like, Mike D'Antoni's going to come in. Yeah, Mike D'Antoni's going to come. And then you can go back to being an assistant coach. And then you can get an interim opportunity. And then you can hopefully get that job. You know what I mean? Like, you have to take that job and succeed at that job to get the next one. And then the other part of it is just the pipeline. Just for non NBA player, black coaches in general. There's not a huge path for those who don't have the name or the cachet. You know what I mean? Like Chauncey Billups is there now, but he's also Chauncey Billups. You know, Amari Stoudemire is there, but he's also Amari Stoudemire. So the question is, how many of those guys are going to leap in and can they help change it overall? Because Chauncey Billups will get an opportunity. Um, if it was someone like me, you got to grind for 10 plus years. You know what I mean? You got you to be a grinder. You got to be a lifer. You got to be like a, a Tony Brown that was in Washington. Ime Adoka, like he's been in the same, like he's been in interviewing. Darvin Ham. Darvin Ham. Look at the picture of the coaching staff that he was on. Everyone else is a head coach except for him, including Taylor Jenkins. Like he leapt over 
Darvin Ham. So Kenny Atkinson on that list, right? Like you're talking about you're talking about Atlanta, the coaching staff in Atlanta. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it's Mike Budenholzer is the head coach. I think it was Budenholzer. I, I want to say Snyder was there. Oh, damn. Kenny Atkinson, Taylor Jenkins. At some point, that picture has all the coaches except for Darvin Ham. And he gets stuck in the spin cycle. I mean, it's why you look at Jawan Howard. He didn't even want to come back. <laughs> he didn't even want to come back because the opportunity is not the same. And that's what has to shift. You know, it's not just about handing it out just to hand it out. It's got to be like a, it's got to be, you believe in this person. Not just, I think this could work. And I feel like too often it's, a, I think this could work. Like how, how many guys have really gotten the second contract or gotten the second job that makes sense? You look at Stan Van Gundy, got multiple opportunities. No offense to Stan Van Gundy, he's a legend. How many black coaches get the third or fourth? And you're looking at Nate McMillan, what he did in Indiana. Of course, the whole like gotten swept multiple years. But look what happened after he leaves, right? And then look what happens now. And it's like, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, he can coach. (laughs) The way they play and fly all over the court and play like their tails off. Like, man, there's so much of this is like, hey, Nate McMillan doesn't believe in threes or he's an old school coach or defensive minded. He's not uh, a... X's and O's, Y's off. But I feel like half the battle is getting your guys to play, play hard for you. And you look at the three coaches who are left, they got all their guys to play. They overcame adversity. They find a way to win. Their teams are good on both ends of the floor. Phoenix will cut you up on both ends of the floor. The Clippers will figure things out to get that kind of buy-in, to just be like, hey, first two games, we're going to try some stuff, but here's what we're going to do. And everyone to say, yeah, okay, we got it. We're in. You know, to go small and then still trap and just do stuff like that. Like, it takes not just guts, but knowledge and relationships and buy-in. And that's so important in today's NBA. And I feel like that kind of gets overlooked because of the, the the tags that get thrown on certain coaches. You know, the things that Nate McMillan got criticized for in Indiana are happening right now. So is it necessarily the coach or is it the roster? Is it the opportunity? Is it the fit? We never find out some of the answers to those questions. Would you want to get back or you're good in the media game? I'm good doing whatever. I went (laughs) to therapy. So like, I'm fine. I had my run. If it's over, it's over. But I'm here. I'm a resource. I'm smart. If I know people, I can throw in your name and say, hey, he's back on the grind. Throw it out there. (laughs) I'm here. Whoever wants me, I'm here. Y'all see what I can do. (laughs) <laughs> you know, it was so funny as a mean, a means late to the pod and then he's got to dip out early. And, uh, but you know what, Steve team player, you're sticking it out. I appreciate you. Um, I appreciate you on the dunker spot. The pot podcast is, is amazing. Um, and also like, you're too good at this, man. Like you go from assistant coach to like doing the media game, doing X's and O's and talking about it in public for a living, like, and, and cutting it up for, for Twitter. If you haven't followed him yet, I don't know what's wrong with you. Like, come on, get on that at Steve Jones 20 on Twitter and you'll find some of the best X's and O's analysis out there. And for all the people who are like, man, I would like to know what it's like to be behind the scenes and being on a coaching staff. That's Steve. That's Porkchop. So go follow him at the Dunker Spot. Where else Where else can they find or or uh, anything else that I can do to pump, pump up the stock of Steve Jones? Now, you've pumped it up to a high degree. I appreciate that. I'll send the check later. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but no, nah, catch me on Twitter. I'm there. I'm I'm just here. 
I'm terrible at self-promotion, which is probably why I'm just sitting here. But <laughs> I appreciate y'all, man. This is fun. Like what I do is for y'all. It's not for me. Like I'm taking whatever gift I was given and sharing it with y'all because I love the game. I'm going to be watching it anyways. So I might as well talk to y'all about it and let's see what we got. And y'all help me because there's some things I don't see and maybe I can alter a perspective, alter a narrative, alter a conversation. Maybe you're with your buddies and you're able to see something that I said. And now, ah, you know, Ben Simmons might be trash, but if I can get you to the butt phase, then I feel great. What a phrase that is. That is amazing. <laughs> can I get you to the butt phase? <laughs> I love it. We got to put it on a t-shirt. Maze, we got to get that on a t-shirt and start selling. Steve Jones, the guy who gets you to the butt phase. I mean, that's fantastic. My wife is going to kill me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I appreciate you. The best to ever do it out of Portland Jesuit. I guess there's Kyle Wilcher is also on that list. Mike Dunleavy, you. Don't forget about Spo. That's right. How could I forget about Spo? He's the GOAT. Does he have his jersey retired there? No, we got too many banners. Too many state championship banners. What a flex. (laughs) What a flex. (laughs) And on that note, Steve Jones, thank you for joining us, man. Mm